Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I think, you know, in, in certain cases, high cholesterol is a problem. And I think, and, and I think it's probably a problem for the vast, Amer- vast amount of people that eat a standard junk food diet. I mean, you, you, you sort of, again, this is, I think it is a conditionally dependent variable to the sense that if you have high cholesterol in the setting of vascular inflammation, hypertension, um, you know, hyper, hyperglycemia, hyperinsulinemia, then, and, and, and particularly maybe the cholesterol is oxidized or glycated, then you're probably at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And in fact, there's just massive amounts of literature that would support that. However, if you don't have any of those things going on and say you're very low inflammation, you have no visceral fat or very little visceral fat, your blood pressure is normal, your triglycerides are low, your HDL is high, we don't have a lot, a lot of evidence that would support that higher cholesterol in that situation is necessarily a bad thing. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. Sean Baker. He's an orthopedic surgeon, world record holder, author of The Carnivore Diet, and CEO of MeatRx.com. We discuss his own health journey, how he prepares meat, and how much protein is ideal to build muscle. We also touch on his eating, fasting, workout routine, what really causes gout, should we worry about cholesterol, protein and mTOR stimulation, and is one tip to get your body back to what it once was. So I really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Sean. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have Dr. Sean Baker on. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on a bunch of different things. Uh, first, before I get into that, perhaps for the people that don't know, maybe give them a little uh, background of your, you know, your history and how you got into, um, you know, carnivore and everything else. Yeah, so I'm, uh, let's see, a 54-year-old lifelong athlete. I'm an orthopedic surgeon by training. Uh, I, uh, you know, been sort of looking at nutrition now for, you know, pretty significantly for about a decade. Um, I, uh, you know, through my own health issues, I suppose, as I got into my 40s, noted, noted that despite training extremely hard, because being a competitive athlete and, and still putting in the work, my health was, uh, was starting to uh, sort of go in a direction I didn't want it to go. And so I started, you know, really investigating nutrition pretty significantly, you know, and, and as a physician, you don't really get much in the way of nutrition knowledge. You know, you get, you get trained pretty good at doing procedures and prescribing drugs and whatnot, but as a physician, that's not part of your normal repertoire of the thing, things you have for most of us. And so, um, you know, I went on a, I went on a, you know, on my own journey and started out with this low fat, you know, you know, sort of high vegetable, you know, a little bit of lean chicken diet for, for a while, which is what many people would recommend. And I, and I was able to lose weight and get leaner doing that, but it was just clearly, um, not sustainable. It's something I didn't enjoy. I was not, you know, it was, it was sort of, you know, irritable because I wasn't eating enough and, and that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, that led me through kind of a journey of different dietary sort of attempts. And, you know, I went to a paleo diet and then a low carb diet, a ketogenic diet. And finally, you know, back about just, just not quite five years ago, four and a half years ago, I ended up on this fully meat-based diet and uh, kind of more or less been doing that ever since. I, I did a 30-day trial 
felt really, really good. Went back to a, you know, kind of more, more, more mixed omnivorous diet for, for a day. And immediately I started, get, started to feel that, you know, back started aching, you know, aches and pains, sleep wasn't as good. So I, I went back to the meat based one and, you know, I've basically been on that more or less uh, ever since. So that's kind of the, you know, kind of the overview. Yeah. So you did your own exploration. Uh, what, what, what kind of health issues did you, did you have um, that brought you on this journey? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, um, you know, I was 285 pounds, you know, probably, you know, even though I just won a world championship in Highland games, I was, you know, very strong, but I wasn't as lean as I needed to be. I was developing sleep apnea, hypertension, probably had metabolic syndrome, prediabetes. That wasn't officially confirmed at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, numerous aches and pains, you know, as an athlete, I'd been, you know, I'd, I'd competed as an athlete my whole life. I'd won several world championships and, and set world records in a number of different sports. And, you know, once you, it sort of takes its toll on your body with aches and pains. And so those are the things I was dealing with, uh, you know, when I, when I first started uh, looking at diet. Yeah. And was there someone that influenced you to, to, to look into um, carnivore and going meat-based? Yeah. I mean, there was a, there's a whole community of people that was online called the zeroing in, in zeroing in on health Facebook community. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know exactly how I ended up seeing them. I can't remember the exact intro, but I, but I ended up sort of vicariously watching and seeing what was going on for about a year before I decided to, you know, take the plunge, so to speak, and do that. And so there's a whole group of these, you know, folks, uh, a girl named Kelly Hogan, uh, Charles Washington, Amber O'Hearn, among others that, that, that showed Joe and Charlene Anderson, they've been doing it for a decade. You know, some of them have been doing it for 20 years successfully without any apparently any evidence of any sort of problems and so i thought that was intriguing enough just to give it a try and so that's where i got started in that and um you know i know you say carnivore diet that could maybe mean a bunch of different things what what is what is like a typical carnivore diet i know there's carnivore-ish and uh things like that but what, what would you say are is uh top of the line on the food list there uh, well, meat and particularly red meat, that tends to be the, you know, the, the, the major staple for, I'd say, the vast majority of people. And then, you know, some people to that, they'll add, you know, different types of meat, whether it's pork or chicken or, you know, I'd seafood in there. Many people use eggs. Dairy is one of those things where some people do okay with it, some don't. Um, you know, some people will include some spices. Some people are, you know, just salt or even no spices. Um, and then, you know, there's some people that, you know, like you said, carnivorous, where they'll throw some, you know, piece of avocado or a little bit of fruit in there from time to time. I think all that's fine. Quite honestly, I don't really get too much into the dogmatic part. My, you know, my, my thought around this is let's do it, get you healthy. And, and that's been the focus. It's not, it's not reverse veganism. It's not, you know, not some ideology. It's like, Hey, what do you, what do you got to do to get healthy? And if it means eating nothing but red meat, that's fine. If it means you can eat red meat plus some fruit and a little bit of vegetables and, bowl ice cream here and again that's also fine i mean i think it's there's no reason to sort of you know say there's only one way because there's not and i've seen that over and over again yeah because there's all these different camps on (laughs) on on uh you know and i agree i don't think you need to be on one camp per se um i was i used to be uh i used to have a decent amount of plants and uh more of like a pescatarian i would say and i've shifted actually during the whole quarantine, I shifted, I was, I'm pretty active and lift a lot and got more into red meat and, you know, buying it from sustainable places and, um, grass fed, grass finished, good quality meat. Um, what would you say a typical, uh, 
day for you like as far as eating? Um, and then I'm, I'm big into fasting as well. What's your fast? Do you have any type of like meal timing as well? Well, I mean, I can tell you what I'm doing right now currently, and this has changed over the years. So, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for years now. So currently right now I eat two meals a day, um, an early morning meal. Like I just had one. So it's eight o'clock. I had, I just, I just ate just under three pounds of, of, of ribeye steak for breakfast. Nice. <laughs> I'll probably have another pound and a half sometime around, Oh, 11, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And that'll be it for the day. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll come in around four, four and a half pounds of meat and that's it. And so then it'll be about an 18 hour period before my next, you know, before breakfast the next day. So that's, that's what's been working well for me. Uh, I'm, I'm playing with some things, looking at blood glucose, blood glucose numbers. And like, I woke up this morning, my blood glucose was 50, 58 fasting blood glucose, which is, mm. you know, very low, but I feel great with that. So it's not, you know, hypoglycemic by definition, because I'm not symptomatic, you know, there's, some people that would argue that point, but I'm pretty confident in the fact that it's fine for, for my particular situation. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing now. So, it, it, you know, that, that's, and that's kind of keeps me at baseline. That's kind of a weight maintenance. I sit there at, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm about 246 to 250 pounds, depending on the day, depending on the time of day, I guess I weighed in the morning lighter in the end of the day, I've, you know, I've gained a couple pounds from the food, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty decent spot right now. So two meals a day. And so you do more of like an early time restricted eating, uh, where you'll have something around eight and then, um, do you, eight, we're, eight, and, eight and noon, something's pretty, eight, pretty eight and noon. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, you don't see that too often, right? Like a lot of times you'll see like noon and the other way around noon and eight or noon and six. Um, what got you into doing it earlier? And, and, uh, cause I, I've always switched around and try to find what works best. When do you fit your workout in too? So, you know, again, so I, I will say that I, so I'll define two things. One is I do activity. So I'm, like you said, I'm standing right now. I don't, I generally don't even sit down at all during the daytime. I'm, I'm up all day long. I do all my computer work interviews while I'm standing. Uh, I do about, I don't know, two to three hours of walking. I do a lot of work while I'm walking, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's walking around the neighborhood with the dogs or walking on a treadmill. I don't really consider that exercise. So that's just activity. Uh, my exercise, you know, when I'm lifting heavy weights or sprinting or stuff like that, that's going to happen after that second meal typically. So, you know, just around lunchtime, I usually go in there and crank out for half hour to 45 minutes of, you know, pretty intense stuff. And, and that's, that, that's, that is working for me. You know, like I said, I've played around and the metric I'm looking at is blood glucose and seeing what, what provides the best, you know, morning fasting blood glucose, which I think, you know, it, it, that's a metric. It may not be the best metric, but a lot of people think there's some utility in that. And so that's what I've been tailoring that based on. And so that's been giving me some pretty good, you know, like the, I, I think the average fasting glucose for this week has been 64. That's been my average for the seven day period, which many people would say is you know, certainly low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did. I used a CGM for a while. Um, and I liked it and I, I occasionally I'll, I'll check my uh, fasting, uh, blood glucose as well. Um, what about preparing the meat? Um, cause this is something that I've run into, you know, I, you know, I tend to grill a decent amount, but try not to just, you know, cause I don't want to overdo it with grilling. What, what is your opinion around preparing the meat? Uh, well, I mean, I think you should enjoy it. I mean, I think that's the first, you know, don't, don't cook something that you're not going to like. I mean, that's, nothing's going to be sustainable. So I do, you know, I've got a number of different ways, you know, like, like for instance, this morning, what I'll typically do is I'll get up, 
I'll throw a couple stakes in the sous vide device. I've got a couple different ways to sous vide stakes. If they're frozen in, in, in vacuum pack, I'll throw them in a water bath. If they're not, there's a little special grill I have that, that you can just basically sous vide within a grill. And I'll mm -hmm. do that. And then when I get back from my walk, I'll sear it. You know, to sear it either in a pan or I've got a really hot grill or hot, uh, yeah, hot grill that I'll do that. And so that's, that's generally how I do it, you know, and it works pretty well. And you know, like I said, you just, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be thoughtful enough to, you know, put it in the sous vide. But I mean, I've, you know, like it's just automatic for me. It just takes, you know, five seconds or 10, not, not, I mean, about a minute. And then you take the dogs for their nice 30, 45 minute walk. You come back and it's ready to go. So that works pretty well for me. Yeah. Have you ever tried an air fryer? I do. Yeah. I have an air fryer. Okay. I, I think it's convenient. It's clean. You know, I mean, as far as not making a mess, it's, you know, it's a good way to, to not mess up the kitchen. Um, I don't, I don't think it does a very good job at searing. That's the only problem with the air fryers. I mean, you know, they, they taste pretty good. I mean, it's, you know, in a pinch, I'll use that. I've got, like I said, I've got just about every steak cooking device you can imagine <laughs> right. at this point. In fact, I'm in a dry, I've got a big dry aging device. So I'm looking forward to that. I've oh. got my, I've got a, uh, I think I've got about 12 days left on this big ribeye so primal. It's going to be ready to come out. It'll be the first one. I did a, I did a tenderloin the other day, which was, you know, a lot quicker because they're smaller, but, uh, right. So anyway, that's another thing that, you know, just got, what about, what about that. organ meats? Is that something that you've gotten into? I don't eat them. I don't eat them. I, uh, I, I don't particularly enjoy them. I mean, I've tried them many, many times. I've had, you know, high end grass finished organ meats cooked by, you know, professional chefs in many different ways. I just don't find them very appealing. I mean, I've tried, I've tried literally, I've tried liver and kidney and brains and testicles and thymus and pancreas. I've done it all. And I just don't find it particularly palatable to me, you know, and, uh, yeah. they're, you know, in my view, they're not required. I mean, I've been doing this stuff for years. I've, I've surveyed, you know, I, I, got, I did a survey on 10,000 people, 12,000 people actually looking at this. And I asked them about organ meat consumption, only about 15% actually ate it on a regular basis. And in the outcomes, you know, on regular basis was more than once a, or once a week or more. Um, everybody else either ate it very infrequently or never. And the differences in outcomes were, were no different at all. And interestingly, Harvard University is about to publish a study on this, you know, with 2000 people and same results, you know, cause I asked, cause I, you know, I made sure they, they asked that question cause I want to know, cause I, there's a controversy and my, my experience and personally in the experience that I've seen within the community is they don't really make a difference in general. There's some people that, uh, you know, certainly say they feel better with it and, and that's fine. And I think you should experiment and see what works, but I don't think the recommendation that everybody needs it is, is, is valid based on, you know, actual results that we're seeing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have not done a ton with it. I did uh, have heart the other day. Um, That's my fine. Wife... I mean, you know, some people like heart, you know, but it's, you know, it's like I said, if you like it, eat it. If you don't like it, you probably don't need to eat it. Yeah. And uh, what about, this is a question that I get quite a bit. How much protein uh, would you say, I probably dep obviously depends on the individual and perhaps their activity level and things like that. But what, what, what is um, a metric that you shoot for? Well, I mean, you know, I'm eating plenty of protein. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 400 grams a day or something like that for me. You know, if I eat four pounds of meat, that's pretty close to that. Um, I think for the average person and, you know, again, I'm, I'm training pretty intensely. And, you know, one of the goals is maintain as much muscle mass as I can real, realistically do. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I think guys like Don Lehman, you know, Stu Phillips, whose who recommendations are pretty decent. I think they'd say 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram is probably for most people pretty good. Some people, they might go up to 2.2 .2 as far as, 
to build muscle, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, you know, beyond that, you may not be providing more muscle building advantage. It doesn't mean eating more protein than that is necessarily bad for you, but, you know, you kind of tap out your muscle protein synthesis capability at about, you know, about a gram per pound. You know, that's what 2.2 per kilo is. So that, that I think that's a pretty reasonable start for people that are interested in, uh, you know, muscle building. And there are some people that will do better with a little bit lower depending on what they're dealing with. But uh, um, I think protein is, is the RDA for protein is generally too low. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. And what about uh, regarding, uh, I've gotten this question, gout, gout and overconsumption of meat. And uh, I know there's, that's just sort of like a theory. There's, there's, uh, what is your thought on that? Yeah, well, certainly meat can precipitate a gout flare up. So, but you have to realize that gout is dependent upon a number of different things. And it's, you know, generally what we see is people that have some sort of metabolic disease often are at risk for gout. And so what we're seeing is this chronic underlying inflammation. We're seeing probably some immune, immune aspects that go along with gout. Um, we see that, uh, you know, like uh, hyperinsulinemia or dysglycemia all predispose people for gout. And so when you throw purines into that mix, purines are then metabolized uh, into uric acid. And so high levels of uric acid can, in, in the right situation, precipitate a gout attack. Now, there are many people that have high levels of uric acid, on, even on a carnivore diet, that don't have gout. And so it's, it's, you know, it's part of the, the equation. Fructose and alcohol are also things that certainly probably even more readily lead to gout attacks. So what I would say is if you are predisposed to gout and you already have gout, going on a meat-based diet may initially, if you're still metabolically sick, lead to a gout flare-up and you have to take your medications and get past it. But as your metabolic health improves, you know, as you become less hyperglycemic, as your inflammation goes down, generally the gout resolves. And so it's kind of one of those things that's kind of, you know, in the beginning sometimes, but long-term, most people see gout resolve and go away. Right. Yeah. And usually gout, um, for the most part, is caused by, like you said, it could be fructose, alcohol, even processed carbs. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Those yeah. are all things, like I said, you just, you just got to think of gout is not just uric acid. It's a whole host of things going on that, that cause those uric acid crystals to precipitate. And what about people who worry about um, cholesterol? I know this is something that's been debunked many times, but cholesterol and red meat and that whole. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think you should not necessarily consider cholesterol. I think, you know, in, in certain cases, high cholesterol is a problem. And I think, and, and, and I think it's probably a problem for the vast America, vast amount of people that eat a standard junk food diet. I mean, you, you, you sort of, again, this is, I think it is a conditionally dependent variable to the sense that if you have high cholesterol in the setting of vascular inflammation, hypertension, um, you know, hyper hyperglycemia, hyperinsulinemia, then, and, and, and particularly maybe the cholesterol is oxidized or glycated, then you're probably at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And in fact, there's just massive amounts of literature that would support that. However, if you don't have any of those things going on and say you're very low inflammation, you have no visceral fat or very little visceral fat, your blood pressure is normal, your triglycerides are low, your HDL is high, we don't have a lot, a lot of evidence that would support that higher cholesterol in that situation is necessarily a bad thing. Um, that Now, that doesn't mean that it might not be, 
but we just don't have evidence to say, you know, cholesterol is bad in this situation. And I suspect it's not. And we're seeing more and more evidence to support that. But uh, so what I say, if you have high cholesterol and you go on a carnivore diet, and some people do, some people don't, some people do, I would say it behooves you to find out that other information. It's important to probably look at the actual vessels themselves to see, you know, I mean, it's more important to know what's going on with the vessels than looking at this one particular risk factor. Right. Do you do, you do blood work like every six months or do you keep, you know, are there certain metrics that you like to keep an eye on just to? Um, you know, I mean, honestly, I think that um, blood work has its utility, but it has to be taken in context. And so I think one of the things we have to realize is, you know, what you're trying to figure out when you do blood work. And a lot of people don't understand what, how to interpret that. And, you know, a certain like my blood glucose of 58 this morning. If you talk to an average physician, they say, oh, my God, get you some sugar right away. Mm-hmm. But in context, I mean, I'm sitting here fine having a conversation. I exercise. I walk my dogs. I'm completely fine with that. So we have to put the blood work in context into what is going on. But I think more importantly, measuring actual disease is more important. And so what is disease to me? Well, if you've got, if you're, if you're obese, you're diseased. You know, I mean, that's clear. You have a lot of visceral fat, you're diseased. If you cannot perform athletically and you've got, you know, limitations and pain and that's indicative of disease in my view. So those metrics are actually what affect me day to day and what I really care about. Now I've done a coronary artery calcium scan to look at my heart vessels, zero, no evidence of plaque whatsoever was seen in there after many years of eating all meat and a ketogenic diet prior to that. So, I mean, those things are my, my blood pressure is always low. Uh, you know, it's 115 over 70 typically. Um, you know, you, you know, I wake up with an erection every morning, which is a 54 year old guy. That's a good measure of cardiovascular hey, you know, health. You're like, you're like 15 years old. <laughs> well, I mean, no, seriously, I mean, that's important. I mean, I know it's kind of people like to laugh about that. That is, yeah. a, that is, that is an indicator of your, your vascular health. And, and so, um, you know, I mean, I just occasionally I'll get some labs. I mean, the last time I checked my kidney function was perfect. My liver function was perfect. You know, I mean, you know, cholesterol was a little bit high. Again, I, I, again, I put that in the caveat. My inflammatory markers were essentially close to zero. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with where I'm at health wise. Yeah. And so, um, at this point you don't have any carbs, right? They don't play any role. Yeah, right now. I mean, no, I mean, I, like I said, I, and this is, I think, an inch, a pretty important sort of caveat to this. I don't actually think carbohydrate per se is bad for us. I don't think glucose per se is bad for us. If it was, our liver wouldn't make it. I mean, our liver makes glucose. I don't eat any, but my liver makes it. You know, I still have glucose. As low as my glucose is, it never goes to zero. Uh, and when I'm exercising really hard, it's going to go up a little bit because my, my liver says, hey, your muscles are using more glucose. We're going to make more. And the liver has the capacity to kind of increase your liver output by about 1500%, you know, while you're exercising intensely. Right. Um, I think that, uh, and so if I eat dairy, I'm going to get some carbohydrates. If I eat some eggs, there's going to be a small amount of carbohydrates. Um, meat generally doesn't have carbohydrates, you know, maybe liver might have a little bit, but so I'm not really concerned about that. Um, right. Now, there are foods that contain carbohydrates, mostly plant foods that also have compounds that are maybe irritating to people. You know, some people don't do well with lectin. Some people don't do well with oxalate. Some people don't do well with, you know, glyco, uh, you know, goit- goitrogens and so on and so forth. And so I think those are the problems for many people. And, I, and we, we, you know, 
most people, they don't acutely bother them. But I think in the chronic setting over time, over time, over time, we see maybe maybe this insidious uh, development of chronic disease. And maybe, you know, due to some sort of these vegetables that we think are healthy. And maybe for some people, certain vegetables just don't do it. And we don't, you know, we don't want to recognize that or, or believe that that's a possibility. But I see it every single day over and over again. People you know, eating a clean diet of meat and a little bit of vegetables and they do better when they cut the vegetables out. So, you know, why is that? I mean, I can't explain any other reason other than that perhaps irritating for certain people with certain conditions. And where do you get most of your meat from? Do you get it from one place or? You know, I get it. You know, I've become kind of this meat guy, right? So I'm in social media. So I, honestly, I get a lot of this ranchers to send me stuff. Mm. So I get probably 70% of my stuff I get from different ranchers that want me to try their meat. And I'm happy to promote these guys and say, hey, man, buy or buy from the local rancher. So right. um, that's where most of it. Sometimes I'll get it from the store. I mean, you know, it's, it just depends. But, uh, but yeah, I got, I've got meat from all over, all over the U.S. and sometimes Canada and sometimes it's from overseas. But, yeah. Okay. And um, what about mTOR? Uh, I, I was just listening to Dave Asprey speak a little bit about you know i mean he's he talked about meat and how maybe overstimulation of mTOR for individuals what would he what would you say regarding that yeah so i think i think that's a uh, nuanced topic and so if you listen to guys like keith barr who is a, is a researcher does this stuff and and some of the other folks the re protein research i've talked to protein can stimulate mTOR we know that um exercise stimulates mTOR by the way Calories stimulate mTOR. Insulin stimulates mTOR, probably. And in fact, calories and insulin probably have the biggest impact on mTOR. So if you want to not um, stimulate mTOR, don't eat a bunch of calories and don't eat a bunch of insulogenic foods, i.e. carbohydrates. Um, mTOR is differentially expressed in different tissues. So, you know, stimulation of mTOR in the liver is different than stimulation of mTOR in the, in the, in the, in the muscle, in the brain, in the fat tissue. And so it's, again, it's, it's kind of context dependent. So if you are eating protein, and that, that's a concern with meat, is this protein particularly leucine, um, you know, you should be doing some exercise. You know, I mean, the, the idea, we right. want mTOR to stimulate to grow muscle. I mean, that's a good thing. No one would argue with that. Right. And you, you can't do it without mTOR. If you give animals rapamycin, for instance, which inhibits, you know, uh, mTOR, they become cachexic and sarcopenic. So you can't blanket stop stimulating mTOR. So it's a differential thing. So it's more nuanced than that. And so right. um, if you were just going to pound the protein and just sit on your butt all day, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably a problem. But again, that's the same thing with eating too many calories. If you get fat, I, I would just say, don't get fat, stay lean, stay muscular, and you're good. You know, and so, I mean, if, if eating a bunch of steaks makes you fat, then you're doing the wrong thing. But like, but that's unlikely to happen. But if you're sitting around eating donuts and ice cream all day and getting fat, you got a problem. You, you, you're still stimulating mTOR and you're probably going to get, you know, cancer and die young and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that it's good to have a balance. Like if, if you're doing some fasting, like you do, you, you know, you have periods of time where you're catabolic per se, and then, and then, you know, you, maybe you work out and then have, you know, your steak or whatever, and then, you know, you want growth then. So, you know, at that point, you know, yeah, if you're active and lifting and especially like I would say resistance training, then, you know, it's a perfect time to stimulate mTOR. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, it's just like, you know, all of these things, glucose is not inherently bad. Insulin is not inherently bad. You know, mTOR is not inherently bad, but you know, if it's stimulated in, in a, in, in the way or in, in, 
like you know, chronically un unusual concentrations, yeah. then it can be bad. But it's not that it's not this all or none. There's a sort of a sort of a level that's that's helpful. Yeah, and uh, and you're creating a whole community of uh, carnivore success stories. I see. Uh, maybe touch on um, uh, Meet RX. I was checking it out, and uh, you have a whole community of not only individuals doing it, but also coaches. Yeah, we have. Uh, so yeah, we came up. Well, I started collecting success stories a few years back because I just I thought it was really cool, and I think it inspires people. And we've got literally hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of success stories categorized by every single condition you can think of generally within there. So uh, we have success stories, you know, on video, you know, written down. Um, we have a whole community, you know, we have like 40 meetings a week of different times people get together and they support each other. Um, I'm on there every single day. In fact, after this, I'll be going directly in my MeterX community meeting for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a whole host of coaches that help people to support them, you know, because as easy as this diet is um, to tell people, hey, just eat a bunch of steak and don't worry about it. <laughs> people still have questions. They still need, they have struggle with motivation. A lot of them have carb addiction issues. A lot of them have specific, you know, what if I don't have a gallbladder? How much do I eat? You know, how much fat do I eat? You know, it's on and on and on. And, you know, so we just kind of support those folks. And then the interesting thing is that as we progress, you know, we've been doing this for about a year now, we have about 5,000 members. And like I said, about 120 coaches and growing every day. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out what's unique about people as far as, you know, okay, you've gotten off all the stuff with a meat-based diet, you're kind of on a strict diet. Now, what can you put back into your diet and mm -hmm. still stay healthy? And that's just, that, that's the thing that we're going to be pursuing, you know, in, in the very near future and figuring how to do that. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up with that. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's always good to have a community whenever you're doing anything, um, whether it's working out, fasting, or eating meat, right? Um, if you can see other people's success stories, um, what. Um, what about, um, I was just going to say, what about the coaches? So you have over, so these coaches pretty much, are they, do they get assigned individuals pretty much and then help them and help guide them and in, into it? Yeah. So, I mean, all the coaches, you know, I put together a course, you know, they all, they, they, they you know, they, it's, it's something like 20 videos they have to they watch and there's quizzes on each of the videos and they take a, uh, you know, pretty lengthy, you know, in-depth test that they have to pass and then they have to do a mock interview before we certify them. They all have to have six months of experience with a diet before they're allowed to apply as a coach. And so, um, and then what we do is, you know, that, you know, our website helps, you know, kind of helps promote them and we kind of help schedule and do all the stuff to kind of make it easy for them. And so people just kind of can sign up with a coach and they can continue on with them. And then we also just started to develop and, and so they can schedule like a half hour session with a coach. Um, we also started this instant coaching thing where you can just, if you, if you have a question right now, there's, there's always a coach waiting, standing by like an Uber driver, you just kind of, hit your button, you know, connects you immediately with a coach and they can kind of give you direct feedback right then and there. So that's, that's how the coaching's working right now. Oh, that's nice. And, uh, I also noticed you have a, uh, a GoFundMe, uh, you have a, uh, carnivore clinical trial that you're uh, raising money for what, uh, perhaps tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we are, you know, in the midst of raising, uh, quite a bit of money to do a large intervention trial. Um, you know, we've, currently got just around a quarter of a million dollars uh, in funding that we've raised so far. We're trying to get that probably closer to 
750,000 to a million dollar range, which I think we'll do in the near future. Hopefully we'll get some independent funding in addition to the GoFund stuff, you know, we're going to get any way we can. And so we want to do a large scale intervention trial uh, to, you know, further just solidify what we're doing. You know, like I said, I mentioned there's, I'm aware of three studies that are already ongoing, waiting for publication uh, that'll come out this year, but this will be the largest sort of scale intervention trial that will be done. Um, I won't directly be doing the research. I'm not a researcher, but just kind of help helping set up the, what we want to look at and the direction we want to go. And then we'll, we'll hand that over to professional researchers to actually do the study. But that's, uh, that's the goal for the, hopefully the fairly near future. Yeah, that's great. And um, I just glanced over one question was uh, what's your opinion regarding fiber? Um, Cause this is, uh, you see this, I, I see a lot of mixed messages regarding fiber. Um, what are your thoughts regarding that? Yeah, I think, again, this is a conditionally beneficial substance. I think, you know, for the average person eating a kind of a junk food diet, fiber can be beneficial. Um, I don't think it's, I clearly know it's not essential. I mean, I've literally not eaten fiber in almost five years and I'm, you know, completely fine. Uh, completely normal bowel habits, no problems at all. I mean, I've seen that over and over and over again. So it's not essential. Um, I think, you know, the, the benefits of fiber that, that have been talked about are that, you know, it, it tends to sort of mitigate blood sugar spikes. So if you eat fiber with a glyce high glycemic load food, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to see less of a blood sugar excursion. So that's clearly okay. But that's not an issue for me because I'm not eating the glycemic foods. Right. Um, you know, fiber has, you know, not really much of it. Some of the studies that looked at blood pressure doesn't really make a significant difference. It might lower your blood pressure two points. It's insignificant. It may lower your cholesterol. Um, now the question is, is that even helpful or not? And again, it's, again, that's, I think that's con conditional in, in the people you're looking at. Fiber can have a role of satiety. You know, you fill yourself up with a bunch of fiber and you're, 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 you're you know, you, right. you're, you're kind of full from the receptors. The problem is for many people that leads to discomfort, bloating, pain. Um, so there's some downsides to it. I mean, some people talk about the fact that fiber causes the gut microbiome to pursue, pursue, or sorry, produce these things called short chain fatty acids. And particularly they talk about butyrate as being helpful for the colonic mucosa. And that's, you know, that, that's likely true. I don't discount that. However, there's a lot of ways to get a healthy gut without having to butyrate from, from fiber. One, you can eat it directly. You can eat things like butter and you get butyrate directly. Uh, beta hydroxybutyrate, which is the principal ketone body in the blood, easily converts to butyrate, or it, it could be that the butyrate is converting to beta hydroxybutyrate and that's the beneficial effect. And so we see mm. people that are on low carb diets, ketogenic diets, carnivore diets, having circulating ketones, which likely also protect the colonocytes. We also know that pro, uh, protein can be converted to short chain fatty acids. So, so you think you get things like propionate, acetate, methyl butyrate, so on and so forth. So there's likely evidence that those things probably also help that, that gut mucosis. So you know, and there's evidence out there that shows that fiber can potentially be problematic. There's a study that Ann Perry did in the Journal of Gastroenterology a few years back looking at colonoscopies, 2,000 people eating, you know, and she, she stratified them by fiber quartile. So people that ate the most fiber and versus the people that ate the least fiber. And the people that ate the most fiber had the highest incidence of colonic disease, particularly diverticulosis. Mm. And those that had little or no fiber had no, no evidence of disease. So there's some studies out there that show that maybe fiber is not as beneficial as we think it is. And again, I think it's very conditional. If you're going to eat a standard American diet with lots of sugary stuff and glycemic stuff, then probably, probably the fiber is going to have a benefit to you. If you're eating a carnivore diet, 
probably no benefit and probably and perhaps detrimental. Hmm. Yeah. So it's all context related. <laughs> Depends if you're metabolically healthy, you can definitely probably get away with a lot more uh, than if you're not. Um, and then I know you touched on it briefly because I don't, I'm not a big fruit eater. I know some people are, uh, consumption of fruit and certain, which fruits would you say like the berries, um, best off as opposed to like, you know, like melons and things like that regarding, you know, glycemic index and things like that. Well, I mean, there's clearly, I mean, I mean, that's, you can just look that up. I mean, there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, the glycemic index or probably more importantly, glycemic load mm-hmm. are things that would favor things like berries. If, if that's your issue, you know, if you're diabetic, pre-diabetic or have diabetic pathophysiology, then, uh, or hyperinsulinemia, then, then those things may be problematic for you. I, again, I don't necessarily think that fruit is bad for everybody or even most people, but I mean, there are people where they need to avoid it. I mean, I, I don't consume fruit. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm kind of these crazy guys that just eats basically meat, but do you uh, have a cheat food. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of like dairy or eggs would be my cheat food. Okay. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's, uh, um, and you know, I don't, I mean, well, honestly, I cheat every day. My meals are my, my ribeye steaks are a cheat meal. I mean, every day is a cheat meal for me, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. You're having a five-star meal for right. right in the morning, right when you get up or not yeah. right when you get up probably. Yeah, but. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what, speaking of morning, I'm a big morning ritual guy. What kind of things do you do in the morning to start your day? I know you mentioned, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I get, I usually get up around before the sun comes up. I start to, I wake up spontaneously and I haven't used an alarm clock in years. And so I pop, my eyes kind of pop open somewhere between five and 6 a.m. I get up, I got two dogs, so they go for a walk with me. And usually, like I said, I'm throwing some steaks in the sous vide and, Mm -hmm. you know, 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour long walk, depending on, you know, what the weather's like and how the dogs are look, look like they need to do. And then, uh, um, I will, um, Usually then I'll eat and then I usually, again, usually directly after meals, I also try to do a little bit of activity. I think that that's a nice way to blunt that insulin and glucose responses uh, to uh, go for a walk again, go for for another, go for another walk. And then, and then I've got, you know, then I've usually got some sort of uh, meeting I've got to do like, like these interviews and stuff like that. And then, and then I'll have another meal and then I'll exercise and I'll work, work the rest of the day. But, you know, like I said, I've really found that, you know, trying to avoid, you know, being sedentary is extremely important. So I will spend, I literally won't sit down, um, uh, till six or 7 PM is when I finally, for the first time I'll sit down during the day, I might sit down and, you know, and, and, you know, just relax for a little bit, but most of the time I'm up. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I do not like to sit. Uh, I'm actually kneeling right now. (laughs) Wow. Ouch. (laughs) You know, I got a good pad here. It's okay. good. And I move around, but, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't like to sit. So I'll either stand or kneel. Um, and I have two dogs like you, so I, I get up and it's, it really is a great way to start the day, whether you have dogs or not, but you know, just to get moving right off the bat, I always teach people. And after meals, I try to sort of time my walks after a meal because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you said, it's a good way to blunt blood sugar and just get, get going, help with digestion as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like, you know, you go to Europe and you see the people, I mean, they always go for a stroll after meals, you know, it's, it's, it's just a tradition. I think it's something that's, it's, that's helpful. And I, I mean, I'm fortunately, I live in a warm climate where I can kind of walk you around, you know, uh, where are you, where, where are you? I mean, I'm in Southern California. Okay. Is it, you guys getting a cold front there, huh? Is it, 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 uh, well, is it? I mean, cold front means 50 degrees, you know, oh, yeah. so it's not really, you know, 
That's not really too bad. It was it was actually ninety here a couple of weeks ago in January, which oh. I thought was pretty 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 impressive. But uh, I'm actually going to be I likely will be leaving and moving to a colder place uh, in really? the summer. So mm-hmm. it'll be, we'll see if I I'm sure I'll keep it up. I don't mind. I, I used to live in the in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which was oh. extremely cold and windy. So. Do you do any uh, cold plunging or, or? I have, yeah, I've done that. I've done. I, have, I haven't done as much recently, but mm-hmm. I did a lot of cold showers. I used to do ice baths. Um, I find, yeah, I find it to be beneficial, quite honestly. I mean, it was kind of interesting. I would get with the ice baths, especially. Um, I would do. A, I would do as much as a thirty-minute ice bath, which wow. is quite a long time. And I yeah. got out and just completely euphoric. I mean, you're shivering, but you're just laughing because it's, mm-hmm. it's got this mood-enhancing, uh, you know, quality to it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten into cold plunging. Uh, I don't know if you know, Brad Kearns, he's sort of, yeah. Got- yeah Brad's been over to my house. Oh <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's helped me out and uh, I've gotten into it. it I, lo- I love it. I don't go for 30 minutes. I I'm in there for five minutes, maybe six minutes, but uh, just for recovery, you know? Yeah. I think, right. you know, and I think the one thing that, uh, you know, some of the research is suggesting that, you know, you should distance that away from, uh, you know, strength training activities or muscle building activities. And so I would do that, you know, as his own special event, I wouldn't tie it to exercise. I would kind of do it. And then maybe I would exercise not even that day or do it later in the day or something like that. So it didn't interfere with some of the, uh, you know, inflammation that is actually beneficial when we exercise. Right. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. I don't like to do it around my work. If anything, I'll, you know, I'll work out in a few hours later, maybe I'll, yeah. I'll do a little plunge. Um, well, this is a, a question I ask all my guests. Um, what's one tip you'd give like a middle-aged individual looking to get their body back to what it once was? Um, I'm sure we've touched on stuff already, but uh, what would be one tip you'd give that individual? Uh, well, there's a lot of tips I can give that individual. <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, you, well, you, you've, you've got to be able to find something you can do. I mean, that's, that's, and you got to be consistent about it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's what's going to ultimately work. I mean, I know there's a friend of mine, uh, Stan Efforting says compliance is a science. And so you've got to find something you can do and stick with. And, and, you know, if it's eating steaks every day, I mean, I find that pretty easy and pretty helpful. Uh, and then, you know, I'll throw the exercise on top of that. I think, you know, I think you've got a couple both diet and exercise and then sleep. All, all three of those things are, you know, those all things, those are all sort of three critical linchpins in, uh, uh, you know, having success. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, doing something for a little bit is, can be beneficial, but being consistent over a long period of time is really most important to get, you know, to get lifestyle, you know, to get lifelong results. Um, well, that was, that was great. Um, so the, where's the best place to find you? Is it meetrx.com or I know you're big on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So meetrx.com, you can, you, like I said, in, in fact, in 15 minutes, I'll be there and there'll be a group of 70 to hundred people. And I just answer questions directly. We have a nice chat and we, oh, you know, we cool. encourage each other and we talk about whatever, whatever people want to talk about. So that's where you can actually interact with me and directly if you want. Um, I'm on social media. I mean, some people, I, sometimes I piss a lot of people off right now. I got an angry horde of women are mad at me because I said bloating is not normal. And 
they're all upset and they think it's misogynistic that you'd say that bloating is not mer- nor- not normal. You know, so I kind of like you're in trouble. That. Yeah, so I got I got you know I got <laughs> I, I guess I pissed off some influencer. I called out for normalizing bloating. I said that's not you know that's not normal. So mm. anyway, but uh, Sean Baker, nineteen sixty seven, S H A W N B A K E R, nineteen sixty seven. That's my Instagram. Uh, Twitter is S Baker M D. And uh, YouTube, I, I put up a YouTube video most days. Just Sean Baker, same thing. Yeah. Okay, I'll put some links in for you um, in the show notes. So, well, Dr. Sean, thanks so much for coming on. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brian. <laughs> this is our second take and we got it. So <laughs> We got it. We got it. All right, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.